All right. Welcome, everyone, to another edition of our weekly Wednesday Lunch and Learn. Every Wednesday, I have the opportunity to get to interview some of the top real estate professionals across the entire country. And today, I'm delighted to have Chris join me. Chris, welcome to the show. Please tell us a little bit about the area that you cover, but also how long you've been in the business, uh, how long you've been in the business. Cool. Well, thanks so much, Spencer, for uh, having me. Um, I have been a real estate agent since like 1937. <laughs> ah, wow. Very, very well. <laughs> a very long time. Yeah, no, I've probably been in the business pushing 30 years. And um, I, I just love it. I actually love selling real estate. I do this about 60% of my time in the city of the city and county of San Francisco. So I pretty much don't go outside San Francisco. Got it. And so tell us, um, what did you actually do before real estate and how did you get into real estate? Well, yeah, good question. Um, the way I got into real estate was I hated my previous life. Okay. <laughs> so I was a CPA. I worked for PricewaterhouseCoopers. And, you know, Spencer, I tell you, I was like, for 11 years, sometimes I'm a little bit slow on the uptick. It took me 11 years to figure out that I just really hated that job. I was really good at it. I made a lot of money doing it. Um, but I just felt every day I felt like I was going home, like I was crying on the inside. Wow. And, um, and so I finally met a realtor who sold me my first home in San Francisco. And he became a really good friend of mine. And I was telling him about it. And I says, you know, real estate is really my passion. I really want to go into real estate, do something with real estate. So I was considering like being an appraisal, appraiser, uh, mortgage broker, the whole nine yards. And he talked me into becoming a real estate agent and working with him. Uh, and so I worked with him as my mentor probably for the first five years. And I just fell in love with it. Love it. Wow. So walk, walk us through kind of the early stages. Was it as you got the license and you started working, was it easier or harder than you thought it would be? Well, you know, it's interesting. I think it was exactly what I thought it would be because I had a really good mentor. Um, I, I knew with my eyes wide open that it wasn't going to be just some kind of, um, you know, sit at the water cooler and eat donuts and wait for listings to come to me that I was going to have to hustle and work my tail off to right. find listings for sale. I knew early on that I wanted to be a listing agent. Um, and I pretty much tried to work with, I'm, Majority of my stuff is working with listings, but I knew early on that I was really going to have to hustle because my mentor told me that. Um, but I knew that I had the flexibility of having that realtor schedule, which I just really loved doing. But I hustled, man. I started cold calling. That was yeah. how back in the day when I started, man, uh, I was every single morning cold calling. And that's how I got my first listing within like 45 days of starting. <laughs> wow, that is very fast. Yeah, that's very fast. Excellent. Yeah. And so, walk us through like production levels, right? When you first started, mm -hmm. um, maybe you know how many transactions you did, what the production levels are, and then give people kind of a sneak peek of what it is either this year or or, or at least last year. So, what I did was, you know, it's interesting because that first year or two, I probably, I think maybe the first two. Through a couple of years, I was only I only did like 10, 15 transactions. But then I got to a point where I was always pretty much doing the same level. And I'm still to this day doing sort of like the same level, which is about I'm selling about 40 to 50 homes wow. a year. Um, and but that is the only thing that's changed throughout the years, I will say, is 
at that 40 to 50 home level is I made a conscious effort to increase my uh, average sales price. So my average sales price is pretty high. I would say um, the last time I checked, my average sales price is about $2 million. And I've been doing that consistently, you know, for the last 10, 10 years. But prices obviously in San Francisco have been going up. And as a matter of fact, um, I just literally 10 minutes before I jumped on this uh, call, just sold a $5 million home. So I'm super excited wow. about that. Congrats. Yeah. Wow. That's interesting. So so let the audience know, like, I mean, that's a lot of people's goals, right? Like you can do the same quote unquote amount of work mm -hmm. per se, mm -hmm. but your average price point is higher. So technically you earn a lot more, right? right? So how did that, how did, how did you actually grow that? Was it a combination like the people you started with, right? That you helped, they just ended up making more money and then they did a trade up or is it something very strategic that was also different to gain this different, you know, wealthier clientele? Right. Well, I think that it, I realized early on that you can do just as much business and work the same amount of hours with higher end homes than with lower end homes. Sure. So what I did do is very early on is I picked the areas of San Francisco, which are the more expensive areas, which are primarily on the north side of town. So I started off by trying to concentrate in those areas around the city where the homes were a little bit more expensive. Uh, but so for a lot of my marketing was all geared towards that. But the biggest thing really is, um, you know, finding, finding sellers and finding buyers as well too, that want to be in those areas. And, um, and so I, I really tried to concentrate myself in those areas, which I think is really important. I think a lot of real estate agents just sort of go into the business and they don't really try to uh, narrow down a niche. Right. Um, and you can narrow down a niche, you know, whether you're working with buyers or sellers or types of properties or geographical areas. And that's one of the things, you know, I also have a coaching program as well that I talk to my coaching clients as well, too, is to try to narrow your niche down as much as possible, which is what I essentially did. Because that way, when you narrow your niche down, um, you can spend all your marketing efforts, your marketing money in that particular area and hopefully get results a lot faster. You know, it's interesting because I just talked to a woman, Spencer, um, who's considering joining my program. And she she works like she works like over 500 miles radius or something. It's crazy uh -huh. what she's covering. She has and a I, private she has a private plane then. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. And I'm like, no, 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 no. You got to concentrate on one area and right. really sort of narrow this puppy bottom down. Interesting. So yeah, walk us through as well. Like, when did you decide the to? Because I know you still perform as a top producer. At the same time, when did you uh, think about or implement this coaching program? And why do that versus maybe joining like a Tom Ferry or, or these other mm -hmm. that, that are huge, right? So what was the mentality of, of that? Well, Spencer, I think that really it started because I wrote a book. I wrote a book called uh, Massive Abundance, How to Create Passion, Purpose, and Prosperity in Your Life. And I just had this thing always in my life that I always felt that it's really important with everything I did as a CPA, as real estate, with coaching clients, is to really get as strong as you can, become as strong as you can in all your life areas so that you can turn around and give it all back. And that's always been sort of like my credo through life is figuring out ways to help other people and give it all back because 
I've got this common thread through all the things that I've done, and that is the CPA and the real estate and the coaching, is that it's helping other people get what they want. And one of the things that just I organically grew into it, not only did I write a book about it, but I also found that I get the greatest amount of joy in my life when I'm really helping people achieve their potential and achieve greatness. You know, doing these calls, being on a coaching call, uh, helping people, you know, when, when I say something or suggest something and the real estate agent on the other line, on the, on the other end says, oh, you know what, I can do that. And then seeing them make changes that dramatically increase their business. You know, Spencer, I can live off that feeling for days because right. it just brings me so much joy. And um, yeah, I, I just organically love it. That's wonderful. And so can you share like how many clients you have and are you personally helping them or is it like the other coaches where it's kind of a, a structure where you have coaches upon coaches? Mm -hmm. How does, how does, how does that model even work? And then is there a capacity constraint as well um, of how much you can actually, how many people you can actually coach? Yeah, that's a, that's a really good question. No one's ever asked me that before. Um, first of all, I just want to say that coaching is so important. I started off with a coach. So right. I started off paying a lot of money back in 1992 uh, a lot. I think I was paying out like a thousand dollars a month, which was a lot of money back then. Right. Um, and I just think it's really important to have somebody better than you to help you. Uh, so to answer your question, I really have right now because I'm trying to keep this sort of a tight group because it's a combination of one-on-one -on -one coaching. So I'm doing private coaching oh, okay. myself. I don't have a team. I'm doing private coaching one-on-one -on -one with people, but it's also, I combine it with as a mastermind group. So every two weeks we get on a Zoom call and we um, we just cut up. We just have fun. We tell jokes. We talk about different things in our marketplace. I do a lot of interviews. I interview top listing agents like Gary Gold and Beverly Hills, who I think still has the most expensive listing on the market in the country. Um, and we just learn things from each other. And so it's a combination of a coaching mastermind thing. So for that, I want to keep it a really tight group. The other thing too is there's a lot of people that join coaching programs, but they don't really want to do the work. Right. And so I really want people that are really going to be super motivated to do the work. So I would say probably I do have a capacity. I think my goal probably in the next couple of years would be to hit 50 uh, coaching clients. And that would just be perfect for me. And I can do that from anywhere, uh, anywhere in the world, really. One of the things we just did last year, excuse me, my partner and I bought a place in Panama, uh, oh, nice. right overlooking the right overlooking the Pacific Ocean on the 32nd floor. And oh, and man. I've been pre-COVID, I was there a lot, and I was actually doing it because as long as I have a computer, I can do this from anywhere. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to doing that more too. What has what have been some of the growing pains of starting the coaching business? And similar to how you got started with real estate, did you have a mentor of growing the coaching business too? Or was that like you're figuring out like what, what you want to do? Mm -hmm. No, absolutely. I have a mentor and everything, you know, it's, you know, it's like we all have people that are helping us spiritually. We've got a priest or a rabbi. We've got a physical trainer. We've got a certified financial planner and like, um, like all those, I hired a business coach. I ran into a guy who I was searching cause I know, I know, I knew that I needed somebody to help me 
really grow this business and what was important and not important. And I got a guy named Ryan Lee on the East Coast. He's out of Connecticut. As a matter of fact, I'm having a call with him this week, who has started three multi-million dollar internet startup companies. And so he just really, I've been writing his coattails uh, because he, this guy is super smart and he really knows what he's talking about when it comes to doing online stuff. You know, and, and silly things like knowing, like for instance, one of the things that I was lamenting to him about was the fact that, okay, right now I currently have about 20 or 25 coaching clients. And it's really interesting because probably 20% of those people I'm on the phone with and talking to all the time, really helping them in their day to day and all that kind of stuff. 80% of the people, I can't get to talk to me. I mean, they won't call me. They're paying me money. I have a monthly fee and they're paying me money every single month. And I finally called one guy, uh, Tyler in Santa Barbara. I says, Tyler, I says, how come you know you won't talk to me? He says, you know what? He says, I want you there on retainer in case I have a problem. But other than that, we just don't really talk. So, and like Ryan's the one that told me this. He says, you know, it's every single online coaching, online business, it's gonna be 80% of the people are gonna pay you and not do anything. And 20% of the people are going to be the most active. And that's fine because everybody's doing their own thing. And I totally respect that. Have you seen the ones that are engaging with you at the 20%? Are they actually doing better than the others? Or is it just their communication preference? Like they're actually pretty self-sufficient, but they want to bring you in when it comes to, you know, different things that are coming up. Yeah, no, I would say they're all doing better. You know, you know the old line, you know, the only competition we have is with ourselves. So they're all doing better with themselves where they were. Okay, so they're improving from where they started. Uh, but it's hard to sort of categorize, you know, is this guy doing better than this guy? You know, it's really sort of hard to, to make that differentiation. Got it. Cool. Okay. And so tell us, walk us through a little bit of, I mean, since you, especially for your case, you, you focus mainly in San Francisco. Yes. San Francisco gets a lot of, um, I ran a lot of videos, a lot of headline articles for sure. Um, given how expensive it was, especially from the rental perspective and how many condos there are on the market today. Right. Walk us through like what your thoughts are of the beginning of the year pre shelter, mm -hmm. what life looks like now and maybe what you, how it is it looking over the next couple of months? Sure. That, that is a really good question. So I would say that this is the best year probably in all the years I've been in real estate. This is the best year I've ever had. I mean, it's just really crazy. I thought when COVID hit and the shelter in place that I thought that's it, you know, we're toast <laughs> and yeah. you know, we're not going to sell anything. And when it opened up for us here in San Francisco, it was, I want to say it was like, yeah, was it around May or something? When it opened up, it was like they, the floodgate just opened up. We're really strong in our marketplace here in San Francisco spring and fall. We're not a school year driven market here in, in the city. So, you know, actually July and August are pretty dead months for us. So spring and fall is, what, is when it's really busy. Uh, we didn't have a spring market because we were on lockdown. So, you know, it's just crazy. I think that what's happened, Spencer, is that people here in San Francisco anyways, that people have really sort of redefined their whole idea of what home is. Um, we have a lot of clients that are saying, I need more space. I got to start working from home. I have to start homeschooling my kids. 
Um, so the activity has really this year, um, since uh, the shelter in place has been lifted, has just increased prob dramatically. Probably we did six months of activity, probably in June, July, and August of this year, wow. and it's still continuing and it's still very strong. Now the kicker is here in, in the San Francisco marketplace. I can't say you know unequivocally that this whole market, you know, all of San Francisco is doing really well. Um, because there are certain, it's very segmented. So mm -hmm. it's really segmented, especially uh, condos. So if you have condos that are in high-rise buildings, like especially in downtown San Francisco that don't have any outdoor spaces, you know, there aren't a lot of people that really want to live in a lot of large, densely packed buildings right now because of COVID. So if you look at certain areas like South Beach, South of Market, which are areas that are more high density in downtown San Francisco, even downtown itself, um, it's a very slow market. It's, it's, I mean, there's probably 30% there's probably more condos on the market right now uh, than what's normal, and, um, and you can't sell them. I mean, we have two listings down there. Um, I can't pay buyers <laughs> to come and see these. I cannot. Now, what the, but what everybody wants to do in San Francisco is they want to get out of the downtown area and they want to go out to the outlying areas. So some of the neighborhoods that we have where there's more single family homes in the city, but there are more single family homes and have yards or big terraces or patios. Those are the places that are selling like hotcakes, still multiple offers. Um, yeah, it's just, it's absolutely crazy. Yeah. That's what I found out as well. Like San Francisco is, is huge by itself, but it depends on the type of property it is. Like yeah. when I run the number of single family seems just like any other city, very busy, yeah. along, but condos, uh, definitely, um, not the same, especially yeah. depending on where you're at. So, but the interesting part about condos and you tell me otherwise, like have prices actually dropped much like it seems like it's dropped a little bit but it doesn't seem like people really need to sell it so they're just kind of i mean there's just a lot on the market but it's just hanging around there right like from the conversation with your with your seller it's usually if if it's sitting on the market for some time you think of price reductions right uh, sure. I mean, but what's the mentality of these people even though it's just kind of the days on market keeps adding up yeah i think that for starters, with a lot of these properties, Spencer, you have um, people that have a lot of equity in the property, right. and they really are redefining their value of their idea of what home is. So they really want to make a change, but they can afford, because the, the local economy here in San Francisco is still very strong, uh, they can still afford to keep these properties on the market. And that's, I think, what's happening. Um, you have less demand but you have people that are pretty well financed and have pretty good equity in their properties. So they're able to stay on the market a little bit longer. So it's not like in, you know, the financial crisis back in what was it? 07 or 08, you know, where we had all these people that had no equity in their property and they were selling, you know, quick and we needed to get it out. To them. And then you had all these huge REOs. What's going to be really interesting. Um, it's going to be really interesting to see in other parts of the country, if there's going to be a huge uh, uptick in REOs, because I don't know, I got, I get the sense that lenders have been pretty well capitalized and well funding loans. So right. I don't think that people are really underwater, but I may be wrong in other parts of the country, but that's not the case here in the city. 
Now, when you have the conversation with the sellers, are they, I'm, given they have such a big equity, but I'm, I'm sure the sense of like their home is still on the market for you as a listing agent, you're like, oh my God, like <laughs> there's like nobody coming in per se, right? right. Like, is there the conversation or have you seen anything like, I mean, what are other ways to do it other, other than just waiting and seeing if it just gets yeah. better, right? You know, I haven't figured out anything, any other way to say this than other than the fact that in this particular market, and I tell them, I tell sources that it's all about two things. It's the price and time. Right. And so you just need the time and you need the right price on it. And what I do do is also have tell them right up front is, is tell them that we will have price reductions if this thing sits on the market because you want to keep the interest and you don't want the listing to get stale. So what I do is, is I broach that price reduction conversation right up front before it even hits the market. So especially, you know, if they want to put it put a place on the market at 2 million and I think it's only on the market, I think it's only worth 1.6 million, then, you know, I'll do it if they really want me to, like at 1995. But in three to four weeks, if we get absolutely no action or no activity, um, then I will tell them that we're going to have a price reduction. And also the same applies to with the listing period. What I'm doing now, which I never really did before in the last 20 years, is if, this, if I think that it's going to take a lot longer to sell because maybe it is a condo in a high rise down in south of market, then I'll take a longer listing. I've been taking six month listings on places. So um, that's the other way to do it. And I tell them again, but I'm always constantly having a price reduction conversation with them all the time. Yeah. And you don't have to talk about a specific one, but in general in that vicinity, because I know the average days on market is certainly uh, fairly high, right? Yes. But when an offer does come in, are you seeing a lot of lowball offers? Are you uh, like how many people actually go through if you kind of track like from the beginning till you actually get it, you know, an offer accepted, like how many people have actually seen it from your experience? Well, again, it depends on the type of property it is. Okay. So again, if it's a condo downtown, I right. mean, not a lot of people have seen it, but um, we just had a single family home gorgeous, but it had it ticked all the boxes because Single family home, remodeled, great block, great location, had a yard, had a parking garage. Um, you know, and pre-COVID and even now, we've had as many as, you know, we've when we could do open houses and now we're doing private appointments. You know, we've had like 50, 60, 70 people, parties, not people, parties through. I mean, and it's just, you know, it's and trying to schedule this in, in San Francisco, which is a little bit weird for your viewers in other parts of the country, we don't necessarily have uh, a lot of lock boxes. That's changing now because of COVID, but in the past we rarely had a lock box. So we had to always do our own showings ourselves. Oh, wow. <laughs> That's interesting. Where do you see, are these people, the people that are tend to be buying the single family in San Francisco today, mm -hmm. do you kind of track or see where they're coming from? Are they from condos doing it or are they like, where are they, what's the source? Yeah. Yeah. Move up buyers primarily. Uh, right now, for people that know in the Bay Area, the San Francisco Bay Area, we have a strong high technology group. And so there's a lot of high tech companies here. And it's primarily that. I mean, uh, I just sold this property just recently. And a typical profile that I see time and time again 
young married couple, two kids, uh, both of them work. One's at Google, one's at Salesforce. Hmm. And that's a typical profile of these buyers that we're seeing. Got it. Very good. Well, well, we'll start getting wrapped up soon, but tell the audience, especially there, there are agents that tune into this channel of learning about the different markets and things like that. So um, share whatever you'd like about the coaching program that you have, right? Like, okay. is it, is it, um, is it anyone can join? Is there a vetting out process? Like some general high level of how things are structured. I think people then, if they're interested, then they can reach out and uh, have a sure. call with you. Sure, absolutely. Well, I'll tell you um, a couple things. One is just be nice and, and be motivated to want to change. That's the key. Be motivated to change. And that's one of the things that I'm really looking for for people in the coaching program. But regardless, anybody viewing this, if you want to hit me up or ask me any questions about coaching or anything else, uh, I'm, you can always hit me up at my website, which is theagentunleashed.com. Uh, maybe you can put it in the show notes. And also, too, if anybody hits me up on the website, I mentioned my book, Massive Abundance, that I uh, wrote. And if you want to, you can certainly hit me up and ask for that book, and I will send it to you for free. Again, that's theagentunleashed.com. Wonderful. Well, Chris, thank you so much for your time. It's great to hear about what's actually happening in the local San Francisco market. It's also incredible that you also have that, uh, the coaching program, because um, especially like, in your case, you do your top producer and you're a coach. So you're kind of the hybrid player coach, which is very critical. You know, a lot of coaches, you know, for whatever reason, they're just only coaching and they may yeah. kind of lose. And um, that's, that's exactly what a, a lot of the people that work with me, they like the fact that I'm in the trenches. Right. So I'm doing what, what, as opposed to just sitting in an ivory tower, I'm actually experiencing what the same thing they're experiencing right now. So it's been really uh, helpful. Yeah. And, and what I actually found interesting from the coach's side, like you mentioned about the inspiration, mm -hmm. I think that's just the inspiration of helping others see their successes. But what's interesting as well is there's a lot of things that coaches learn from, uh, you know, the people that they coach too, right? Absolutely. I mean, it, it is so motivating and invigorating to, to be associated with these people because, yeah, you know, we're all, it's, it's a very organic symbiotic relationship. Right, exactly. So it's very cool. It's very cool to see that 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 the addition to the business. Well, cool. thank you everyone else for tuning in, and uh, of course, I will have Chris's details in the show notes. If you have any questions about the local San Francisco market or about his coaching programs, you can find the details there below and just reach out direct. I'm sure we'll be happy to correspond, and uh, I'll see you at the next one. Thank you so much, Chris. Thank you, Spencer. Thank you so much for making it to the very end of my podcast. If you are tired of renting in the Bay Area are a homeowner looking to do a trade-up for a bigger home, or are a real estate investor, I would love to connect. Click on the Calendly link and let's set up a time to talk. It's never too early to talk about options and to work out a game plan. I also do have an email newsletter, so sign up on the link in the show notes, or you're welcome to watch all of my content on YouTube. See you at the next one.